This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm your host, Andy Larson, co-hosted again. Thanks uh, for coming back, I guess, Zach Harper. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Andy Treasure, by the way, just for co-hosting last week as you celebrated your birthday in in incredible style. In amazing style. What did you do? Um... What did I do on Thursday? <laughs> it was like four we, days ago. Yeah. Uh, ate some food. Went to a okay. restaurant. Nice. Had a had an amazing short rib sandwich and some, some poutine. Okay. Yeah. A little like Canadian style. So that was good. Um, caught up with some friends. Caught up with some colleagues. Was it, was it a fancy poutine restaurant? Uh, I mean... I mean, it was, it was on the fancier side. Okay. Yeah. Like I wouldn't... Like you didn't have to wear a suit. Okay. But, but yeah, yeah no, like you were fine with like jeans and a button up. Like, it felt good. Yeah, okay. But you felt good going there for your birthday, also. You know, it wasn't a McDonald's birthday. Right. No, 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 no. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, I'm supersizing tonight because like this is me day. No, that wasn't that wasn't the case. I, I feel like Angie was was way better than you are. Th- than normally any uh, co host would uh, be. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, especially better than I was. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's hard because you just. Uh, Give someone a chance, and then they Wally Pip you, right? Like, there's right, exactly. That's yeah, happen. and um, I should have sabotaged. Oh. I should have had someone call <laughs> in, and just yell at her or something. See, and, and actually, I was talking to her today about this. She was surprised that she didn't get like the the angry meninist kind of people right. who are mad that only only men can talk sports on the radio. Well, I didn't. I didn't tell you this in ahead of time. That's going to be the first forty minutes of the show. It's just oh, me, okay. <laughs> me being a jerk to her. Oh well, good news, guys. <laughs> We've got some fun misogyny coming <laughs> right. up. No. Uh, let's avoid that. Anyway. All right. No misogyny No this misogyny. Week. Instead, we'll talk NBA and Utah Jazz basketball. Uh, by the way, this is a social show. So if you guys want to get your opinions out there, uh, re- react to whatever um, it is that we have to say, feel free to tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at uh, Talk Hoops talk for Zach here. Uh, and then also you can give us a call eight seven seven three five three zero seven hundred is the phone number if uh, you guys are, are old fashioned like that I guess. Um, but although call, people but still call use tel- telephones. Call us let's on be a honest. Cell phone though. Yeah. Don't lose <laughs> don't, don't, don't use, use like a, a rotary phone. phone. I should mention actually our guest tonight Dan Clayton uh, coming on in the eight o'clock hour Salt City Hoops writer uh, former Spanish radio uh, color commentator for the Utah Jazz. We are calling him on his home phone. Wow. So, I mean, That's he's a... he's way back in. Do you I, have a home phone? No. I haven't had one. I can't even imagine. In he, maybe eight years. He tells me he has one because he gets bad service at his house. So, oh, like, having sense. the landline yeah. allows him to communicate with others. Okay, that makes sense. But... That's the only imaginable reason that I feel like you would have a home phone in this century. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess if there's, like, some kind of connection with the technology you need, like, some some radio lines might need... Like if you do a lot of radio from from your home, you might need it. But even then, just yeah. just sell just, it up. Just, <laughs> just go mobile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I agree. All right, 
Let's get into this. And, and some of this we talked about last week with Angie, and now I kind of want to get your take on it, too, yeah. uh, with regards to the Jazz maybe making a trade this deadline. You know, that's coming up actually way sooner than it feels like. It's, yeah. it's about three weeks away. Uh, and then kind of where the Jazz are as finally they're getting a little bit healthy with the return of Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert. But first of all, let's, let's start with the Jazz trade business. Um, I asked on Twitter today and, and did a poll of Jazz fans whether or not they thought the Jazz would make a trade. And first of all, Twitter polls are, I've never done one before, and it's kind of incredible how, like, just quick feedback you get. It's its yeah, kind it's, of addicting. It, it is. <laughs> I, I, I want to do a lot more of them. Yeah, I could see how politics could be uh, kind of captivating for people because yeah, like, you're ooh. just voting on stuff all the time. That's fun. <laughs> That's the problem in our society is we don't have Election Day frequently enough. Right. It should be like every 48 hours. <laughs> and if you could vote by Twitter, like, oh, oh like in the NBA All-Star Contest, you know, Absolutely. you would get excellent politicians always. Yeah. Anyway. 39% of our 364 votes, that's a pretty solid sample solid, size, yeah. said, yes, the Jazz will make a trade. And then 61% thought, no, the Jazz will not make a trade at the date, at the deadline. Does that sound right to you? Is that, uh, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, yeah, on whether or not they'll make a deal? I think I'd probably put it like 60-40 that they don't. Hmm. Yeah, I think okay. that's right. I mean, I think, I don't expect, if they make a, if they make a move, I don't expect it to be a big move. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe moving a player and, and getting a role player in return, like I don't think they're going to package a bunch of guys and go get a you know a big name or anything like that, or or go make a big splash in a three team deal or something like that. Um, but I think I also think that I'm not convinced it's going to be an active trade deadline. Yeah, because I really think that the cap jump is going to kind of mess with people in trying to determine what is a good trade value considering the chaos that is going to come this summer. I think we're going to get a ton of rumors. I think Daryl Morey is going to be linked to like nine <laughs> trades, but I don't, I don't think we're going to have a ton of activity. So I think the jazz fall into that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And you know, you look at all the teams that will have cap space this summer and it's essentially every team almost will, every have, team, yeah. will have cap space. So you, if you're a general manager, you're like, why would I give up talent? Right. Uh, in, in order to acquire an asset rather than, just spending money on it later on down the road in this in the summer. And I think that is the way a lot of general managers are thinking. I will say, though, that I disagree with you on whether or not the Jazz make a trade. Because mm-hmm. I kind of see that as maybe now the Jazz have an opportunity to use the cap space they currently have. Sure. It, when that's still semi an asset, right? Like right. If, if they could acquire if they could acquire some money for something and, and acquire even like a second round pick, I think they'd probably do it at this point because why not, right? Otherwise, sure. it's kind of a, a burnt $7 million. I mean, obviously, you're not spending that money, but it's it's a missed opportunity. Again, yeah, you I have guess, an opportunity cost. I guess to me, my question is like, not are they willing to do a trade, it's just who's willing to do right. a trade with them. Who's gonna, who needs to drop a player to right, get exactly. out of the luxury tax yeah. or whatever. And and you're right, there aren't that many candidates right now with, with how yeah, the like taxes. Miami's kind of on the border. Yeah. I mean, I think you can always maybe think that the Thunder might be active. Um, I mean, maybe the Rockets are active. I don't know. Like, the Rockets could do anything. Right. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there just aren't that many people on that, like, fringe of being tax eligible right. or not that, yeah. that just need to get rid of someone. I think Miami is the the only team that really is, if I remember maybe, correctly. Maybe, yeah. I mean, and, and they made the Mario Chalmers trade, which saved them a little bit of money. But even then... It didn't they, quite they, get them out of yeah, the... Yeah, they the, still are on the borderline. So, like, can you... You know, Chris Anderson's the guy they're going to want to offer up. Does that really move the needle you know obviously you're going to try to get someone in addition to chris anderson if you're making that move unless you're getting like a first round pick with them which i don't think is going to happen right 
But I, I mean, I could see the Jazz doing something like that, acquiring Chris Anderson into their space. I, I believe they'd have enough. I, I, I'll have to look that up. I got to tell you, um, I would be floored. I would love it. He's yeah? so fun to cover. Really? Why is that? He's just, he just says anything. Like he, he will say anything. See, He's the best. I suspect if the Jazz acquired Chris Anderson, it would be a trade and immediate wave sort of thing. Like those, they did with Kendrick Perkins last year in the yeah, NS Cantor deal. Those 48 hours be amazing. <laughs> get him to town, get him on the show, let's go. All right, we, we can do that. Yeah, I, I'm not even sure Kendrick Perkins approached Utah Probably last year. Not. Like, it, was, it was all done over, you know, like it, we talked about 21st century communication technologies. Yeah. No one used a home phone the entire time. Right. Kendrick Perkins' only cell phone. Based on, by the way, we haven't talked about Eric Green yet and his signing uh, and not answering his cell phone. Right. <laughs> when the Jazz called him and said, "Hey, do you want to come up to the NBA?" Yeah, I'm not gonna. I, I'm not, not gonna reveal where because I don't know if that's like a regular spot. I saw him eating breakfast the other day. Yeah. I almost th- said hi and then thought, "I've never talked to you in my life. That would be weird." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like at that point, uh, well, okay. First of all, I doubt he's getting like a lot of random fans coming up to him right. in Salt Lake City, given yeah. that he's been on the team for what seven days now. Yeah. Um. So maybe he would have appreciated it, maybe. right? Like yeah. he would have been like, "Yeah, someone knows who I am." Yeah. That that means a lot. Um. I like him. I do too. I think he's a. I mean, he's a scorer. He's a, you know maybe not. I don't know how much of a point guard you think he is, but he's a scorer, and I liked him in Denver. I think he can play. I think he can play in this league. I don't know if he's a second 10-day and then a rest of the regular season kind of guy for them. But I, I like the depth he adds, and if he gets a chance to play, he's going to score. Yeah, and, and I thought it was interesting when we talked to him when he was first signed. He said, you know, Denver kind of – he thought Denver kind of tried to make him too much into a pass-first point guard. Right. Like, that that wasn't who he was as a player. Right. Instead, he's he knows that he's a score-first guy and kind of rediscovered that in the D-League and, and with Reno and now is uh, – you know, wants to kind of show that at the NBA level. He had four points in his first game and hasn't seen any minutes since then because right. you know he hasn't been in that sort of position. Which, which is a good thing because that means they're not injured right. or struggling, right? Right. No, that, that, exactly. <laughs> the the blowouts haven't uh, been coming as as fast as, yeah. as uh, at least they were earlier in the season. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like Eric Green. Uh, it's a little bit interesting too because if they re up him right when his ten day ends, then you're wasting like five games of his ten day on the uh, All Star break, which right. is. Not smart, right? Not a, yeah, it's not cost efficient. So, and actually, the Jazz did a similar thing with Chris Johnson last year, where they signed him to a, a ten day too early, and then I mean, I don't want to say it's too early because otherwise someone may have signed him. But regardless, yeah. uh, and then had to wait a few days, and then Philadelphia actually picked him up in the middle. I believe it was Philadelphia, maybe it was some other team, but regardless, some other team picked him up in the middle, and then they had to sign him to another ten day after he waived him at the end of the season. Yeah. So there may be some bouncing back and forth, but I agree. Like in the abstract, I like Eric Green as a player. Yeah, I like him a lot, and uh, it is funny that I'm the same way, though. If if a team tried to get me on a 10-day contract, I wouldn't answer my phone. No. I don't answer if I don't know the number. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I get so many of these, like, robo-dials. Yeah. Literally every single day, the Red Cross is calling me asking <laughs> for my blood. I have them in my phone as they want your blood. And at a certain point, like, yes, I, I want to donate my blood to you, Red Cross. Like, I want only to save so much lives. You can... but. I biologically just, give them <laughs> yeah. that keeps you alive. <laughs> right, like, I can't make that many sacrifices. <laughs> you're, you're asking too much. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, so I, I like the fact that he doesn't, that made me feel connected to Eric Green. Yeah. Not only are we eating Agreed. the same breakfasts, but we're, you have we're, the same cell phone, we have approach. the same cell phone etiquette. 
I like yeah. No, I, I I did too. I like I like Eric Green. He was a fun interview. Anyway, that was the best five minutes of Eric Green radio you'll hear <laughs> at all and anywhere in Utah. Um, let's go back to the trade thing. So we kind of talked about the possibility of of the cap space trade. I, I maybe think it's more likely than you do that they look to make a a, a point guard oriented sort of move. Okay. Um, first of all, uh, Trey Burke. Uh, I've I've noticed his minutes are decreasing recently, right. and I think that's gone along with a a decrease in trust uh, from the Jazz coaching staff in in terms of his defensive play. Uh, it, it seems like maybe the stats are becoming more. It, it's for whatever reason we saw Trey Burke perform well on the defensive end earlier in the season and i think that's that's dropped off somewhat in the last uh december january part of the year am i am i making sense no that that makes a lot of sense um i do think that also i mean they they kind of as they've gotten healthier they've been able to go back to more of the bigger lineups mm-hmm. um which i think they really like uh, there was a point recently one of the games recently where joe ingles was playing a lot of point guard yeah. <laughs> um which was a weird thing but it it was you know fairly effective and you can you can make it work, and you know I think they like having Rodney Hood. I think they like having Trey Burke as an option of of an off guard. But if you can't really play him defensively anywhere, you know, like you can maybe play him tomorrow night against Denver because Emmanuel Moody makes a lot of mistakes, and so uh-huh. maybe you can, you know, that can get his defensive confidence up um, if they have that matchup. But you know, against Milwaukee, they're so big. Are you gonna Are you gonna go? With Trey Burke a lot against a team like Milwaukee, and, yeah. and it, it feels like teams are trying to get bigger. And you know, unfortunately for Trey Burke, he's not going to get bigger, right? So right. like that's that's something that he has to find that kind of effectiveness on both ends of the floor that that makes it worth the minutes. Yeah, and and it's going to be interesting too because you know, like I say, as his, uh, his minutes are decreasing, and I I wonder if the Jazz may see this as a a high watermark uh, sure. of of kind of trade value where he's still shooting well, uh, but in terms of long-term net positivity on the court he he may not be end up delivering as they kind of hoped when they drafted him right and, and I, don't, I, I don't know if this is the right comparison but i've kind of looked at like what's best case scenario if you're the jazz and you have trey burke is it like him being like 2011 jj berea which is a which yeah. is a fine role player that's not a bad player for trey burke to be but i think you look at trey burke and you want him to be more than that right right and so that's that's a tough. I mean, at least he's hitting shots this year. He's mm-hmm. over. He's like forty two percent from yeah. the field, and I think he's about league average from three point range, which is uh, a huge increase for him from the last two years. But yeah, I think you're right. Like there is a balance with how well he plays, how much you expect in the future, what kind of trade market there may be for a team that wants to add a little bit more scoring off the bench. Yeah, and, and you know. Th- I think that ultimately determines it is what another team is willing to give up for that sort of scoring back a point guard. Yeah. Uh, and if it is a long-term asset, I think the Jazz jump on it. And if it's not, then they say, look, you know, Trey Burke's a fine backup point guard. He's giving us some scoring this year uh, and and clearly adds something that the Jazz don't really have in, in Howell Meadow. Yeah. So, you know, might as well keep him on the roster. Yeah, especially when you're in an interim period of waiting for Dante to come back. Right, right. And, and he's cheap too, so yeah, it's exactly. not like you're you're losing anything on on the money end, I guess. Yeah. Right, and of course, have him under contract for another year because before he becomes a re- restricted free agent. The other piece I, I think may end up being traded, and and this one I'm definitely less sure about, but as Trevor Booker, I think sure. we we disagree on on how good Trevor Booker is. I think is. I'm the only not like. Only non-organizational organizational person 
with the jazz, you know, that covers the jazz that like thinks Trevor Booker is like this really important role player for them. Like see, I feel like all the jazz fans I interact with on Twitter, I just see them complaining about Trevor Booker all the time. Yeah, I including think, myself. Right. Yeah, and I just I think he's I think he's valuable. And I I think he uh, I think the ways in which you think he's valuable in terms of like hustling and rebounding and that yeah. sort of thing get over overwhelmed by some of the defensive mistakes and and sure. kind of sloppy play. Yeah. Uh, and in, and actually this season just not being able to make a shot has been a big deal. Which has been I mean that's been Kind of a weird thing for him. Yeah. Um, I no, also, usually he's so solid from the mid range throughout his whole career, and then last year he even shot the three point shot well. Uh, this year he is shooting ten percent from ten to sixteen, twenty five percent from sixteen to the three point line, and then twenty six percent from the three point line and beyond. Those are you know pretty clearly the worst numbers of his career. Yeah. I I also think that he's been asked to overextend himself a little bit. Yeah. Because of the injuries and. I think that if you go into a quieter role for him, he's able to to be more the player you expect him to mm-hmm. be because he's playing fewer minutes, he has fewer responsibilities, he can kind of just go play, um, which maybe isn't ideal in the structure that the Jazz want, but I, I do think that I think there is value in having that guy. At the same time, they're pretty deep inside. Yeah, I think it's hard for him when he has to play next to Trey Lyles or Jeff Withy because neither yeah. of those guys are role guys. Right. And so when you know Gordon Hayward is coming off a pick-and-roll off a screen set by Trevor Booker, the defense is just going to commit two guys to the Gordon Hayward part of that pick and roll right. and, and have Trevor Booker try to create. And, and that's not really him. If you don't involve him in the pick and roll and, and can have, you know, Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors out there, then he can kind of space and, and set up plays and, and maybe do a little bit more yeah. um, of what he does well. And be in position for rebounds and, and that sort of thing. The only, I mean, really, the only reason I think he's traded, he may be traded uh, this deadline, is because he is an unrestricted free agent. Sure, he's twenty eight years old, and if you know, if some team would give value for him, maybe it makes sense to pick up the long term asset rather than someone who may or may not leave. That being said, Booker likes it here. The Jazz like Booker, so if yeah. they wanted to resign him, that's definitely still a possibility. Yeah, and I mean, I think it gets tricky with with him of trying to figure out. What's the value? You know, like is is he going to be a mid level exception guy? At, you know, with the higher salary cap, like probably not. If he's yeah. okay with with being under that, then I think it's a cost effective resign. Do you think he? I mean, right now he's making five million a year, right. almost four four point seven. I think it is what, what it is. What is the mid level raise up to? Yeah, I I think seven or eight. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I think I'd probably want to keep it around five six. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't but know. I, also, I don't know how that you, you get away with giving him uh, less of a deal, though. You know, I don't know if you can give him get away with giving him two or three. Yeah, I don't know about that. And I also like I don't know how to judge contracts next summer. Just, that's true. I, like I, no one has any. Yeah. Like, nothing would be surprising next summer, right? I right. Mean, nothing at all. In terms of uh, SB Nation released its top one hundred free agents of next summer, their their list today, and uh, I mean. The top ten guys, maybe top fifteen, all could get max deals, and we're we're talking some you know guys who normally wouldn't get max deals yeah. in in other right years. Yeah, um, you know Nick Batum, Mike DeMar- Conley, Demar Derozan, Demar Derozan. I mean guys who haven't gotten max contracts and and will probably get them this summer, right? Because the money's got to go somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> the money is coming in from TNT if, and ABC, and yeah. it's got to go. If you are tall and relatively coordinated. Go pick up a basketball. You're yes. going to get paid. Yes. <laughs> um, and then we talked about this Jeff Teague deal a lot last week. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much of that conversation you heard, but 
there's we talked with Buddy Grizzard, who's who's the Hawks Hoop kind of our our uh, colleague over in Atlanta for the ESPN True Hoop Network, and kind of negotiated a deal on what the Hawks would be looking for. And I was kind of shocked at how little the Hawks seemed to think of of Jeff Teague at this point. Yeah, well, I was around them um, during the Eastern Conference Finals in Atlanta, and the kind of prevailing thought was like we don't know that Jeff Teague's the point guard of the future for this team. Yeah. Like they really like Dennis Schroeder and, and I don't totally get it because he can't shoot. Yeah. Um, and that team is so predicated on, on shooting, at least shooting and ball movement from an offensive standpoint. Uh, but you know, Teague is a nice trade ship in the fact that he's $8 million a year next year. Right. That's a bargain. I mean, it's an expiring after the season, but that's a bargain. And so if you feel like, you know, kind of like we were talking with Trey Burke, if you feel like this is the peak of his trade value with Jeff Teague, why wouldn't you explore that? Yeah, and you know, if you if you do really believe in Schroeder as as a future, and it and it does kind of seem like they do, even though yeah. he's had consistency issues of his own this Big season. Uh, yeah, I, I I mean, it's kind of worrying, right? As as a Jazz fan, to then look at. Atlanta being so willing to give this guy away, but I, I wonder if if that's uh, a little bit misguided. I mean, I, from it kind of depends. True, too, if you think Jeff Teague plays like he ha- if he's going to be playing like he has last season or this season, right? Yeah. We've seen two different kind of Jeff Teagues, yeah. and one's a, a definite net positive, an All Star guy, and another uh, the Hawks have been eight points worse when he's on the floor um, than with. Dennis Schroeder and uh, hasn't been moving as well and hasn't been finishing as well near the rim, that sort right. of thing. And ultimately, that kind of determines whether what you want to give up in that sort of deal. I think, too, with him, um, I, do, I do think you have to wonder, like, is it a rental, essentially? Is it a yeah. one-and-a-half-year one rental? Is he worth that? And, and two, you know, like, do you think like I guess if you're going to acquire him you probably think like this is a top 10 point guard. Mm-hmm. Is he going to play like a top 10 point guard? I don't I don't know that I'm convinced he will. Like is being just a top 15 point guard good enough or if you're looking at it from the Jazz perspective is that such an upgrade from where you are that that extra push that guarantees you into the playoffs that ha- gives you some playoff experience that gives you oh, a three-point shooter and a guy who can just dominate and pick and roll in terms of scoring and he's a pretty good playmaker in those roles when he's at his best. You know, is that enough to to you know maybe get loose with some of the assets? Yeah, and and I think ultimately it might be. I mean, you mentioned the contract, but even at ending next season, you can spin that as a positive for the Jazz because of where Dante Exum is, right? Sure. You you know you kind of say, look, if Dante Exum blows expectations out of the water next season and does really well, then you can say, you know, thank you Jeff Teague for your services. Right. Please be on your way. You know, you maybe even you don't flip need him to resign the, him. Flip him at the deadline. Or, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. if, if he if he develops that quickly, right. yeah, starts to play that well, then yeah, I mean, you kind of do the same thing. Um, and if not, then yeah, maybe you explore bringing back Jeff Teague as, as your point guard that's worked with a hopefully winning team for a, a year sure. and a half at that point. Yeah. Uh, do you want them to make the, a move for Jeff Teague? I guess like it's probably going to de- determine what they have to give up. Yeah. In order to get him, I mean, I do in in a vacuum. I, I think ultimately, like if if the Oklahoma City uh, first round pick or or the Golden State first round pick is enough to get it done, if they're just looking for a late first out of it, yeah. I, you know, I'm fine with giving up one of those assets. Yeah. The big question is, the Jazz aren't a great like player asset fit for right. the Hawks. I don't think, and ultimately, you have to look up is uh, you have to decide whether or not giving up Alec Burks is worthwhile. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's that a might, hard question. That might be, yeah, that might be kind of the line. 
that you have to you have to right. figure out because you're not going to give up Rodney Hood, you're not going to give up Gordon Hayward, Derek right. Favors, Rudy Gobert, Dante yeah. Exum, you know, and then the smaller assets like Trey Burke, Trevor Booker, Joe Ingles just aren't worth that much. You know, they're right. they're not worth a point guard who was an All Star last year. Yeah, exactly. And I think, well, I mean, I don't know. It's tough to know what Mike Boonholzer will do as the kind of decision maker there mm-hmm. because. He did just acquire Tim Hardaway Jr. for a first-round pick, <laughs> right. so it may not take that much to get an asset like Jeff Teague. Yeah, no, and and maybe, but then again, maybe he doesn't value acquiring first-round picks. Right, maybe yeah. he's willing to. Maybe he doesn't like first-round picks. Maybe he drafted or they drafted Adrian Payne. He was like, "All right, I'm done with this. Right. Like, no more rookies." <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of what it seemed like, right? I mean, the the Adrian Payne thing, as you pointed out, didn't yeah. work out. The giving away a first for Tim Hardaway Jr. seems a little bit insane in retrospect. Yeah, um, and really, even at the time, let's be let's be a little bit honest. I think yeah, people who, was that. Ended up being Jerry or kind of went to Kelly Oubre to Jerry and Grant because yeah. there was another swap between the yeah. Wizards and and the um, and the Knicks, right? But, but what that was the the twenty eighth pick? No, it was like eighteen or nineteen. Oh, really? It was whatever Jerry and Grant was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that's and I think Tim Hardaway Jr. is putting up like a five per right now. I mean, it's yeah, I mean, he hasn't been playing well yeah, at he, all he hasn't I, been play, it, he, when he's been playing. Yeah, he's really hasn't even. Deserve so, being on the court. Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe you don't even that. Maybe that's just not even interesting to to the Hawks at all. And and then again, it comes back to this Alec Burks or Jeff Teague question. Right. And and that's to me a very 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 hard question to answer. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, I guess I guess I would do it because of the injury concerns with, with Burks. Burks. Okay. Um, you know, two major injuries, a couple years in a row. Like, I guess yeah. the ankle's not a huge deal, but you're missing six weeks to two months or whatever yeah. it ends up being. Um, I wouldn't call him like injury prone. Uh, like they're right. not they're yeah. not recurring type of injuries, right? But maybe his style of play yeah. makes him more prone to get injuries. Yeah, right? like that's a different way of putting it. It's kind of saying the same thing. Um, that might be enough, and especially if you feel like if you feel like Teague, Hood, and and Gordon can really coexist and and create a super offense because I I think that peak is is possible. I think you do have to make that move because. Not only does that does that turn you into a playoff team for sure, like that might turn you into the sixth seed. Yeah, it's and, not and that far out of reach. It, and then you're avoiding the Warriors, you're avoiding the Spurs, you're maybe getting more playoff experience than you previously would, and you build something you know pretty enticing for next season. Yeah, I I, I agree with you there. I mean, it clearly would you know if you did trade Alec Burks, you do leave a hole in in you know you got a great starting five, and then yeah. you've got a pretty questionable bench right and yeah you i mean you really have to figure out the rotation the yeah but uh in terms of uh, he would give the jazz something they don't have which is someone who can create with speed right now you know yeah. they've got two really good wings who can create with guile and and skills with their you know pretty impressive skill sets in Rodney hood and gordon hayward but no one who can just blow by someone on the dribble in transition off the pick and roll whatever and yeah. really create in that sort of way he and he i mean he's special with how fast he is yeah that, he is. that first step is is yeah. great Anyway, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking about the uh, this class of rookies, the the 2015 draft class, kind of ranking the rookies, trying to figure out where the Jazzman Trey Lyles fits. Uh, looking at Carl Anthony Towns, Kristaps Porzingis, uh, D'Angelo Russell, and so on and so forth. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Got a question uh, on Twitter from Pete Bush 
I every week he tweets in, and every week I forget how to pronounce his last name. Boucher, Boucher, or Bush. Uh, b- I don't know. I uh, tweet Bush? us the the pronunciation of it for the Pete? fourth time, please. <laughs> I, it seriously has been like four times. I, I'm gonna have like John keep a, a John, our producer, a keep a list of how to pronounce some of our common tweeters names just so like i don't embarrass myself on air anymore anyway uh he said <laughs> that guy said if you could pick between pg3 i think he means paul george pg13 yeah, yeah um so paul george jimmy butler or gordon hayward in what order would you pick them uh paul george jimmy butler gordon hayward yep no, I, I think that's the order i would yeah. too i he, mean he tweeted me as well asking what my perspective is on on gordon and has it changed since coming to utah and are are we crazy homers for thinking he equals butler um, I don't know if it makes you homers. I think you're wrong. Like, he's yeah. not Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is better than him. Um, I don't think that's a knock on Gordon Hayward. I think Jimmy Butler's just that good. Yeah, like, no. It, J- Jimmy Butler's fantastic. I think Butler's probably shown more on, on both ends of the floor, Yeah, quite frankly. I, I was pretty, I've been pretty into Gordon Hayward's game for a long time, and it's not just the haircut that's evolved <laughs> over time. Like, I, you know, people freaked out when he got the, the max offer sheet in Utah match. I thought it was a, I thought it was a brilliant deal. Like, I just yeah. thought that's his market. He's that good. Um, he struggled the first year of it in terms of efficiency. He picked it back up mm-hmm. after that, and I think he's. I mean, I don't really. I think we're only a, in year two of that deal. By yeah, the way. really, yeah. I mean, and he's. I think he's a solid defender. I think he's a great playmaker. I think he's a smart scorer. Um, maybe you want him to press a little bit more and and be more assertive, but I think he does such a good job of feeling out the game and letting it come to him that I trust him with the ball. Yeah, I I, I agree with you that I think you know Gordon Hayward is is a great player. Jimmy Butler, I think, is is elite, and yeah. I almost might put Jimmy Butler ahead of Paul George. Is that crazy? No, I think it's. I think it's something. I think Paul George. I think Paul George, his potential for impact in the game is higher. I agree. But, but Jimmy may be more consistent. So, I, and if you value that consistency, yeah, I don't think that's crazy. Yeah, I, I think Paul George kind of does kind of trend up yeah. and down a little bit with with his focus and Absolutely. and efficiency. Mm-hmm. And I think Jimmy Butler is a little bit more consistent on that end of the floor. I mean, he was great last night. Uh yeah, he's he really he, he should have gotten didn't the, ball get the ball exactly. He yeah. didn't get the ball enough in the fourth quarter in overtime. Uh Derrick Rose got to shoot a lot though. <laughs> he did. There you go. Derrick Rose did get to go 6 for 21. He used to be good. <laughs> Not anymore. Not Sorry, anymore. Derek Rose fans. We actually walked into the stadium together yesterday, <laughs> and we were behind this like massive group of twenty Derek Rose fans in yeah. Utah. And I didn't. Uh, all of them were wearing Derek Rose jerseys. We saw a Derek Rose like uh, school folder, like you know when you had your in elementary yeah, school like to carry your papers around. You yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, what other Derek Rose memorabilia did this group have? There it were was, hats. There were the pictures of Derek Rose's son on T-shirts. And I, I mean, who are these people? Who are like the accumulated Derek Rose fans in Salt Lake that all get together? Like I, I get that he still has fans. I mean, people still right. want him to be good. That's cool. This is just a location I would not have expected. <laughs> no, yeah, and and for them to all come together like that, right? right? Like, yeah, I mean, I get, that was a concerted effort. Yeah, I get like there being twenty five individual Derrick Rose fans amongst <laughs> the audience last night. Fine, but that they all came together in one group and yeah. Yeah, is there like a message board? I I, I I'm sure I there's a know. message board. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably a Twitter a account. Salt Lake yeah. Derrick Rose message board Twitter oh, slash Twitter account. When I, it's, it's just it's a small niche, is what I'm saying. When I tweeted about um, liking the Eric Green signing, uh-huh. Eric Green fans Twitter account, yeah. like favorite it or retweeted or something. Yeah, no, I, I was impressed at how quickly he changed the Eric Green Twitter account. Eric Green fans Twitter account yeah. actually changed his profile uh, uh, 
picture and then also the cover picture right. as well just two jazz related things like 15 minutes after Woj reported it that's it's, that's dedication it's impressive stuff anyway in this segment we're supposed to be talking about <laughs> ranking the rookies uh from this 2015 nba draft and, and i guess rookies from elsewhere you know like howell netto who was drafted in 2013 but then is only now a rookie and and where trey lyles fits in this and, you know, they're actually, this has turned out to be a pretty good rookie class in yeah. terms of what we're getting. Impressive. I mean, you've got high level talent in Carl Anthony Towns and Chris Hopps You've got a really good middle, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jokic, you, you look at Kaminsky's done well. Willie Colley Stein's done well. Trey Lyles has done well. Uh, Stanley Johnson, Justice Winslow have played pretty well. Yeah, uh, good defenders, at least. Yeah. And, and then you've got kind of a, a nice little bottom tier as well. You know, I, I think like Howell Neto, even guys like TJ McConnell yeah. may continue to be in the NBA, you know, like, <laughs> right. You have actually a really nice, impactful class here that I, I'm not sure I expected. Yeah, and uh, you can even look. I mean, a lot of Sixers, like Okafor's obviously been very good mm-hmm. uh, scoring the ball. Rashawn, or Rashawn Holmes, who's I think the second-round pick for them, yeah. has been very productive in his minutes. Uh, yeah, it's been a fun rookie class, and I think that makes that makes Trey Lyles' production even better to me. It's not that hmm. – it's obviously like not that he's doing it um, as a rookie or it's not that he's – He's doing it to compare to other rookies. It's that you can look at that he's part of the depth of an incoming, you know, this influx of talent. And and it has been like when I got here, I got here right before Thanksgiving. People were like, why is this, what is this guy doing on the floor? Like, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's just not any good. And and because of the opportunities and because of the development of, that the Jazz have done with him, like he just he got really good. Like yeah. he's not an all star or anything like that. Right now, or, or in danger. And I don't think he ever will be. Yeah, really. he like, might he's, not be. He's but not like, that kind of guy. You like he gets on the floor now, and you trust him, mm-hmm. which is having trust in a rookie. I think we, I think we overestimate rookie impacts every year. We mm-hmm. look at guys and like, hey, is this guy going to turn turn the franchise around? Is this guy going to put up twenty points? You know, we forget how hard it is for rookies to come in night in and night out and play. And Lyles has kind of shown that you can trust him. Yeah, like Justice Winslow, you can trust him when he's on the floor. Stanley Johnson, you can trust him defensively at least when he's on the floor. A lot, you know, guys that that who can earn trust on good teams that matters, and that's hard to do. So, when you look at this class, who do you rank as as your your top guys? And, and I guess I'm asking you to rank them specifically. You know, so yeah. saying that Porzingis is good is not going to shock anyone. But right. where is, he, is he number one, number two, et cetera? And then uh, again, where does Lyles fit into that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'd go Carl Anthony. Well, I know I'd go Carl Anthony Towns. Number he's one. so like, good. He's, I he's mean, a amazing player, like, and is so good from day one. Yeah, it's like it, I do feel like, like I feel like I'm nitpicking when I find faults in this game. Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Davis moving forward? I kind of I think Towns is a better defender. I think so too. I think I he's like a better defender. Towns, yeah. which is crazy. He's a better passer. Yeah, and uh, I, yeah, I, I, it's amazing. Yeah, I don't think you can go wrong, but it's like I, I mean. He's putting up, his rookie numbers. Only two other guys have done what he's doing per possession. It's Shaq and Tim Duncan. And Davis hasn't figured out how to make like a really positive impact on the scoreline yet. You know, like right. the advance on court, off court kind of numbers yeah. aren't there for Anthony Davis. They're there for Carl Anthony Towns right now. Yeah, right now. I mean, he's just he's that good. Like he is. If you think Kristaps Porzingis is going to be rookie of the year because he's on the playoff team, like that's fine. I don't even care about. Like, I think rookie of the year is kind of a dumb award anyway, so it doesn't matter to me if like if Towns wants it, then I hope he gets it. But he like. As long as the Wolves have Towns, you're happy with the Wolves. I want a Rookie of the Year award for every year. I want, like, the fifth-year <laughs> player of the award and just – Yeah, what if we it. just did it for every class? <laughs> like, like, all right, 20, 20 – Yeah, give Kobe the 21st. Right. <laughs> Kobe's guy with 21 years of experience award. 
Goes yeah. to Kobe Bryant. Yeah. KG still getting awards? That'd be great. Yeah. I'm in on that. So for me, it's Towns. He's so okay. good. Porzingis, I think, is one notch below him, but mm-hmm. I think he, I mean, I think he's an all star. I think he's an all NBA player in the making. I, I, I'm crazy impressed with his poise and how he attacks. And he gets worked over by Draymond Green the other night. And he takes as, I just saw how hard I have to work to be a defender. Yeah. I mean, it's that kind of self awareness that I love about him. Um, I think I'd, maybe this isn't popular. I think I'd go D'Angelo Russell. Okay. Number three. It, from his play this season or, or kind of moving forward? Um, a little of both. In the flashes where Byron Scott's been smart enough to actually let him do something, uh, I've liked what I've seen. Okay. And I even like the, a lot of the turnovers he makes because he's trying stuff. He is trying some kind of spectacular plays, yeah, and sometimes and, it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, exactly, and I, I like that from a, a rookie point guard. Um, I'd go Okafor 4, okay. uh, thinking he can be like an Al Jefferson type. Um, Moutier 5, probably Jokic, and then Lyles. I you, think that's where I would be. Really? Well, so maybe uh, Winslow ahead of Lyles. I go Winslow ahead of Lyles. So my guys who I might put ahead of Lyles there are Devin Booker and uh, Miles Turner, who's been fantastic yeah. for Indiana. Willie Cauley Stein and, and his, yeah. yeah, he was injured, but yeah, I like his impact defensively. I'd I'd probably put Turner below Lyles, but I could okay. see him going higher in the next. It's just kind of tough with the guys who've been who've been injured so far. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. But I just look at what Miles Turner has done just recently. Yeah. And it and it's he's put up some really good numbers and, and just kind of the, the variety in his game I sure. think is really well suited to where the game's going in terms of being able to hit from outside, yeah. inside, block shots. I mean he's he's kind of the the big package big that we're seeing yeah. from Porzingis, obviously not right. quite as good, but that same sort of uh versatility from a big yeah. man. Yeah. I like Booker a lot. I just don't know what else he does other than shoot. You know, and so I think I need to see a little bit more of an all-around game. It's not like he doesn't need to go out and get a triple-double or anything like that. I just like to see a little bit more ball movement, a little bit more defense. Um, but it also, you look at the chaotic environment he's playing, and I don't right. know, you know, I don't know what you can realistically expect from him. Yeah, I mean, on the new Suns with uh, Jeff Hornacek, which actually we'll talk about in the next yeah. segment, uh, gone. I think he should get you know. Forty shots a game. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't disagree. I think. Uh, I think he should be shooting a lot. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, this class is is Rondé Hollis Jefferson was fun before he went down. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, even like Howell Neto has yeah. been kind of feisty at times, especially like, last I, night. I like Kaminsky a lot. Uh, yeah. The, the Magic are undefeated when Mario Hazonia scores seventeen points in a game or more. They're one and zero. So uh, I think he should play more. <laughs> Campaign has been a little bit fun when he's yeah, played. Yeah, he's starting to get going. About, we haven't even talked about Bobby Portis, but Bobby Portis is, yeah. is so much fun to watch. He's and, my f- favorite personality outside yeah, of Towns and Porzingis. Yeah, no, you're absolutely... Both Towns and Porzingis, you like his per- their personalities more? Or like you're just saying like long-term, future, hard work sort of thing? Because I, I like interviewing Bobby Portis maybe more than like any other player in the league. Like He's, uh, he's a lot of fun. I haven't talked to Porzingis when I want to talk to Towns, and he was like uncomfortably personable for a 19 year old really like in the same way that like zach levine was was the same way like you talk to andrew wiggins and you you get nothing Mm -hmm. like he's just he's horrible he's just like professional nba player cliches sort of and and like reluctant to just talk okay um like i don't think he's all that comfortable with it maybe like in a derrick rose way when he was when he was young just wasn't comfortable talking but with like zach levine and carl anthony towns you feel like they're like your best friends for 10 years Mm. like they're just that personable draymond green's the same way uh unfortunately royce white was the same way and that didn't work out so hot but um but you know those guys like you can you can kind of extract a real conversation from and i I think portis is kind of right there but uh i like i like the outward 
personality yeah. that they show within like their brand or whatever stupid way you want to put it. Yeah, no, I, I and I think that's fun. And sometimes I get more of that from rookies than I do from kind of veteran players yeah. who have kind of been beaten down by asked by being asked, you know, eighty nine stupid questions per day. Right. Um, um, KG kind of actually curtailed that a little bit with with Towns. How so? Uh, it was early on in the season, and someone asked Towns about the mentorship of of KG so far, and he told like, "Oh yeah, we were working on this the other day, and this is what he told me." And then someone asked KG about that, and KG's response about that conversation was, "I'm gonna have to tell him that some things are just better left between us." Ooh. And then after that, Towns was giving a lot more cliches. He'll still break out and give real answers, but it was a lot more cliches and a lot less giving in that respect. KG, why you got to do that to us? Like, we have an interesting on, man. guy, you're, you're and he's on just your like, way actually, out. if you could just tank the media interviews, yeah. that would be great. <laughs> you're on your way ah. out. What do you care if he talks? Veteran leadership. Never have veterans on your team. Never. <laughs> awful. <laughs> it's an awful idea. All right. We got to take another break. On the other side, we are going to talk about, as promised, the Jeff Hornacek move in uh, Phoenix. Obviously, that has a lot of local impl- implications as well with Jeff Hornacek, you know, being a legend in this city. That's coming up next in the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson and Zach Harper with you. Another tweet from you guys uh, asking, and actually this is a really good segue into what we wanted to talk about. Um, A, from Jeff Dockstatter, at Dockstatter1. Having at talk hoops in this market is awesome. I love the show. Well, thank you. We try medium hard to bring a good show to you. We do try medium hard and I I will pay you that money I owe you now. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes. There's there's too much positive Angie talk Way at the too beginning much, of the yeah. show, and so now we need to like justify your presence. Here. I've been paying people to tweet me compliments. <laughs> uh, maybe Jody needs that. I mean, it all. It, Anybody, uh, it's a great idea. Just yes. pay people to say nice things about you. Anyway, uh, do you guys think Quinn is a top ten coach? Hmm. Um, I think he's close. I think he's in the conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, we kind of made. Remember a couple of weeks ago when yeah. we did the the viewer segment uh, show, and someone asked us to rank the top ten coaches yeah. and put them with the bottom ten teams because you right. know they were <laughs> they were being mean to us. But regardless, <laughs> uh, and we kind of we kind of talked back and forth on on who the top ten coaches are, and, and Quinn was was in that conversation. I think you know he's kind of in that. 8 through 12 range where, like, it could be him or or Terry Stotts or Stan Van Gundy right. or uh, who else was in that group? Um, I'm trying to think who are good coaches. Like. Steve Clifford. Yeah, Steve Clifford um, was in there. You know, kind of, you know, clearly not the Pops and the Rick Carlisles of the world. Yeah, not Brad Stevens, but not far from it. Right. right? And, yeah, so I, I, I think... He's close to a top 10 coach. Can I say that he's definitely a top 15 coach? And yeah, I think that's very fair. Yeah. And Jeff will get off our back. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't want to make a hard proclamation about top 10, but I, I, you know, I think he's definitely above average. I mean, I think you've kind of maybe had the best uh, experience of being around Eric Spolstra for a couple yeah. of seasons and then coming into Quinn Snyder. Are, are there similarities there? I mean, yeah, do, I, you, do you see good things from Quinn? Yeah, I do. I mean, I like I like the schemes. You know, I like the I actually like the rotations he's thrown out there considering the situation and, you know, the injuries and everything. Um, he's definitely more uh, he's more eloquent in the way he talks in terms of like giving you real answers, explaining mm-hmm. stuff, which I like. Eric Spolstra was very Pat Riley like spo like they were basically like called spoisms like they would stick yeah. to like our core tenants our our foundation of 
of basketball, like stuff like that. He would throw a lot of cliches in there because, you know, he wasn't going to give too much away. Right. Uh, not that Quinn gives a lot away, but he'll explain something to you if you, you know, ask the question the right way, which I appreciate. And then the coaching on the court, I think he does a good job managing the game. And I think that's, you know, with Spolster, I would argue that I'm not always thrilled with his offense. I think his offense has been pretty stagnant. I think he's been slow to kind of wean them off of Dwayne Wade heavy stuff mm-hmm. and try to get other guys who are just as talented involved. Um, I think that's a little bit of a problem, but uh, you know, overall, he's a very good coach. I'd put Quinn right in that mixture with Eric Spolster. Cool. So there you go, Jeff. Yeah, he's about <laughs> he's about a top ten coach. About a, yeah, yeah, about a top ten coach. Yeah. Um, and okay, so then I guess the follow up question is, where do you see Jeff Hornacek in there? Because obviously, it was just fired. Uh, this week, actually, like at one a.m. on Monday morning. That was crazy. Um, what a hor- like what awful timing. Right. I, it's just like I get that you you lost the game and then they wanted to fire him afterwards and I guess they wanted to tell him after he got off the plane so like I don't know he didn't just that orga- like come on that organization uh, I don't know Robert yeah. Sarver's a joke like they they're so poorly run and it's and it's a shame too because you had a very good coach in Jeff Hornacek like I don't know if he was in the top 15 conversation but I think he was a guy where you look at the the future and the way he was coaching and say I like that style for yeah. a team right and and he, I, I think he was absolutely in that conversation year one. You know when yeah, they had forty eight yeah, wins with, with that roster, and and he kind of he saw the league spreading out and and absolutely embraced it yeah. to great success in year one. And then it seemed more that everything fell apart with uh, the personalities involved within that yeah. organization rather than personnel decisions too. Like yeah. really, those were problems. Like you throw, you know, Isaiah Thomas into a mix with Goran Dragic and Eric Bledsoe, like. I don't know how you think that's going to work. I don't know if that's Robert Sarver's call. I don't know if that was Lon Babby's call. I don't know if that's uh, Ryan McDonald's call. You know, like I don't know whose call that was, but it was a bad call, and it led to a, a you know, procession of moves that were just, just wrong. Right. And you had to like make moves to make up for that, and you know, you just you made so many mistakes that you ruined a good thing. And then Jeff Hornacek has to go and firing his assistants like two or that three weeks weird. or a month. A month earlier, like, what, what are you, are you trying doing? to do? Like, yeah. just, just get rid of Jeff. Like, at that point, why put him through the next month? And what do you think is going to turn around? Right. And then, at, and now you've come to, now you've got an interim head coach in, in Nora Watson who, you know, is very nice, but is, has no experience coaching. Right. right? Like, he barely has any experience coaching as an assistant. Right. So, why, what, yeah, why are you firing Mike Longabardi and I forget who the other uh, assistant coach Jerry was? Jerry Sichting. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Um, why are you firing them if you think that it's possible that you're going to be firing Jeff Hornacek in the next 30 days? Right, and it reminds me of when, you know, I don't think you have to have Jeff Hornacek as your coach. I don't think you have to have Alvin Gentry as your coach, but it reminded me of when they fired Alvin Gentry to get Lindsey Hunter in there. And, oh, by the way, Lindsey Hunter, Hunter's a horrible coach. <laughs> I don't think they were doing it to get Earl Watson in there. I think Earl Watson just kind of was the next man up, yeah. right? But it's that it's just these knee-jerk reactions instead of having a set plan that you can execute. I think that comes from the owner on down. And I think you see that with every organization that has problems, it's problems with the ownership and the consistency of the decisions they make. And, you know, Jeff Hornacek was a casualty of that. And I thought that might be fixed with Ryan McDonough, who's coming from a pretty good organization with yeah, the Celtics and, and, you know, should know better. Had essentially. a great reputation, you know, promising, but he doesn't have final say. Right. It's still Robert Sarver running the show and he's been a joke. Yeah, it's and that's that's a problem. I mean, I guess you can criticize Jeff and say, you know, maybe a better personality manager would have figured out a way to do it, but I I don't even know if that's yeah, true. Yeah, I don't think he's absolved of criticism either. Like he he could have coached better over the last two years. He also dealt with a lot of injuries. He dealt with this weird thing where uh, 
you know, a twin brother gets traded away and the other twin starts pouting openly. Like that's a, I don't know that that's something you're all that trained in (laughs) and dealing with. Like maybe he should have convinced him that Alex Lenz, like a long lost triplet of the Morrises. So like, I don't know if that's the He looks like you. Can't you see? Yeah. yeah, You know, he was in Ukraine. Like you bring him up, like he was your Ukrainian triplet. Like, I don't know if you do that, but there's something there where like, I think he could have coached better. Maybe he could have managed him. The uh, the personality's better, but at the same time, I think he was set up to fail not di- not consciously, but just right. because of instability. And it's clear that by the end, the players were giving no heed to his instructions whatsoever. You know, they he's, you know, anything. he's not going to be the coach. Why? I mean, like, yeah. I think there's a level of professionalism, but you can still ask, like, why are you going to listen to this guy? shape your career if you know he's not going to be there especially with things like defense and accountability right. you know you just don't have that sort of accountability when you yeah. don't have any standing in your organization yeah it's hard. that's a hard that's a hard culture to cultivate when there is no stability and that's why the bad teams stay bad because they can't find that they get yeah. all these draft picks after draft picks and they end up ruining the t- opportunities because they don't have it I don't think it's a terrible situation for whichever coach comes in at the end of the season. You know, I, I think There's they've got there. they've got talent. They've got the picks, like you mentioned, yeah. and uh, you know, Len. Uh, you've got a, a veteran leader on the roster in, in Tyson Chandler. Sure. It's if you you can kind of rely on him for help a little bit. Devin Booker is clearly a talent. Brandon Knight. You know, you've got two good point guards, and you can probably trade one of them to sure. get up an upgrade in another spot. You know, it's it's a decent situation. It's You've got not good young guys like I think it's not I, Brooklyn Nets, right? It's, yeah, it's not a hopeless situation. I like Archie Goodwin. I like T.J. Warren, who just we found out he's done for the year with a broken right. foot. Like they have good young talent. You just I don't know. You need a culture. Yeah. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're gonna have Dan Clayton, Salt City Hoops writer, joining us from New York, actually Brooklyn to be precise, uh, talking about the Utah Jazz and the NBA with us. That's next on the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN seven hundred. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Zach Harper with you. We're waiting on the line for Dan Clayton, Salt City Hoops writer, to join us. We're going to ask him all sorts of fun questions. I just hung out with him, uh, I guess, a week and a half ago now in New York when the Jazz were in uh, New York playing the Knicks and then the Nets. And it was fun. I, I, I missed hanging out with Dan. Dan, are you there? I'm talking about you, so I hope you are. <laughs> Dan, are you there? Yeah, hey. How's okay, going? cool. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't hear me the first time, but we're good. Um, how, how, are you been? how have you been in the last nine days since I've seen you? Uh, well, the city has begun to thaw out. So Is it gross? Um, you, that seems like it would be wouldn't... awful. Uh, no, it's not too bad. I mean, you know, there's piles of snow all along the sidewalks and roads, but... They're getting smaller, and we've actually had like a pretty decent week in New York City. So uh, it was just your good luck, Andy. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm deeply proud. Um, well, since we we talked, Derek Favors has come back to the, or since we visited, I guess Derek Favors has come back in healthy to the fold. The Jazz have gone on a little bit of a win streak here, three in a row. Um, uh, what have you made of of the Jazz's play over the last few games, and and kind of their return to health? Yeah, well, you know, if you look at where the Jazz were after their first 16, 17 games, when everybody was when everybody except for Dante Exum, of course, was healthy, um, you know, they had at that point the point differential, and especially if you look at a adjusted point differential, which takes into takes into account home road and the and the strength of the opponent, 
they had an adjusted point differential of like a 50 win team, you know, a, a pretty solid team, a, you know, 600 or so record. Um, they've obviously gotten away from that because they haven't had any, everybody healthy, but um, you know, it's encouraging that they've gotten everybody back and now they're, uh, you know, four and one, three and one in their last game, something like that. So, you know, it's, it's going well and you can obviously see the impact that uh, the favors is having on both ends. Let me ask you, we, we've talked a lot about the Jeff Teague trade uh, on last week's show on the internet, um, on my article for KSL.com. I wanted to get your perspective because I, I don't think I've actually nailed you down on, on what uh, it is that you kind of, what you think about the idea of, of the Jazz trading for Jeff Teague, what they would give up, that sort of thing. Yeah, so I think the idea is terrific. I think it definitely solves a need. Um, I, I think that obviously it, it does raise a little bit of a question in terms of what you would do next year as Exum gets healthy, but that's not a bad thing. Exum isn't necessarily going to want to play 30 or, or isn't going to be ready to play perhaps 36 minutes a night right when he comes back. So to have someone that would, you know, help him ease his way back in and, and also, you know, you could you could play those guys together in certain situations and, and particularly if the Jazz had given up uh, an Alec Burks type player to, to get Teague, which is, I think, kind of the bare minute, like, I think that's the cost of entry, honestly, to get into the conversation, um, you know, then then you would potentially have some wing minutes available where you could go super small at times and Exum is 6'6", so I think he could hang in that sort of a lineup. Do you, do you worry about the, do you worry about the down season that, that Teague's had? Do you think that's just randomness? It's just a small sample? Do you think that carries over or, like, has the league maybe caught up to him a little bit since he got a higher profile with the All-Star stuff, or is it just... Hey, he's missing some layups. He's missing some shots. You know what? I, that's a good question, Zach. I think um, I think I would worry more about it if Atlanta wasn't honestly just kind of a bit of a mess on the whole right yeah. now. Um, and and that's some you know at some point we're like you know three years from now, Mark Stein and Zach Lowe are going to co-author a three thousand word tell-all about this Atlanta Hawks <laughs> season, and we're all going to be shocked and not that shocked. It's just been a weird one for them. If you think about how good they were a year ago, then they have all the stuff happen relative to Danny Ferry. Um, you know, questions about the degree to which Mike Budenholzer stuck his neck out to save Ferry after Ferry had stuck his neck out to get Bud the job. Then you have, you know, losing Damari Carroll. You have injuries. You have a bunch of guys, by the way, not just Teague. A bunch of guys on that team are having a down year. You had the the weirdness of the Tabo and Peril Antich thing in New York City, um, you know, which that, by the way, is still lingering because now there's some there's some potential legal stuff going on between Tabo and the New York Police Department. So I just think it's been a weird year for them, full of distractions. And I and and I, I don't know. It's it's weird when you see a team. It's kind of like what the Phoenix Suns have been going through for the last four months. It's just hard to know how much stock you can put in someone's performance in a year when organizationally just things just don't seem right on the whole. You mentioned that Burks is maybe the starting, the entry point for the the talks. There've been rumors as well as or speculation that maybe Al Horford's on the move because they don't feel they can retain him. Does a potential, I don't know if fire sale is the right word, but if they decide we're going to move Teague, we're going to move Horford. Do you think that makes them, you makes the, makes the asking price for Teague uh, higher or lower considering they may just be looking for asset acquisition? Uh, well, I think that if, I think if it's Teague in a package with Horford, then yeah, I think it makes sure, the asking right. price higher. I don't think Horford is someone you just 
sort of give away in the cap space. You know, they would they would want something significant there. But I think what that does is it illustrates, you know, a potential willingness to kind of hit the reset button overall. And obviously there was a rumor a few days ago, and I, I don't remember who it was, so sorry I can't source it, but there was a rumor that that maybe they were interested in attaching Tiago Splitter and his $8 million salary to Jeff Teague um, as a means of, of clearing cap space and having a couple of max slots to work with this offseason. If that's the case, then you almost think that that might soften the cost because now whoever would acquire a, a Teague Splitter package would be um, – you know, would be basically giving them dumping grounds to to take care of an eight million dollar contract, eight point eight or something like that. Um, and obviously, there's not that many teams that could do that for them: Portland, Philly, and the Jazz. So, I mean, that kind of thing is more interesting if you, if you, if you're talking about kind of getting something at the bargain table, looking at okay, who else might they want to get rid of that is not a considerable asset and a and a recent All Star. Um, you know, it could be something like Teague or, or taking someone else off their books like that. What about, uh, I mean, kind of other trade ideas involving the Jazz, not with Jeff Teague? I mean, do you think it's likely that the Jazz make a trade uh, during this trade deadline? And, and if so, where else could we see that besides you know, the aforementioned Teague deal? Yeah, I really do. Um, and the reason why is, and I mentioned this to you last night, Andy, the reasons why are five numbers. 19... 19, 22, 19, and 19. Trey minutes in the last five games. Um, and I don't want to get too crazy or extrapolate too much from that other than just to say that obviously Quinn Snyder is no longer relying heavily on Trey Burke. Um, that would be fine if Howell Meadow was just suddenly a breakout star. And while he did have a really nice game last night, I don't think that's the case. I'm um, I'm for him for a future NBA MVP. Like uh, he's he's the man. I like the odds. <laughs> How? Yeah. Is, is MVP like is that an acronym for whatever the Portuguese version of <laughs> most dreamy eyes would be? I don't. I don't know. That's the award I think he's most likely to win. I, I jokingly um, tweeted that last night, and then Howell's father um, favorited it on Twitter, which I loved. <laughs> but anyway. Uh. Yeah, so I, I think it's I think it's weird that at a time when you know there's no Alec Burks to rely on, so there's really no triple wing except that there kind of is if you use Chris Johnson or Joe Ingles. But that at a time like that, and even you know the 22 minute game by Burke in the last five, um, that was the time that that Howell was unavailable for half the game. So even in a game where you didn't have Neto for half the game, Quinn Snyder looks to Trey Burke for 22 minutes. So I think it's pretty obvious that the Jazz, um, that the that the level of faith there has lessened over time. I think that that does kind of raise the the likelihood that they might be ready to move on. Um, having said that, other deals, I don't know. I mean, um, I have I have always really liked and and jazz fans have talked about this one on and off, but I haven't heard a lot about it lately. I think that let's just say that, that Burks isn't enough to get it, to land Jeff Teague. I think he should be enough to go and get a Darren Collison. Um, you know, those they're very similar in terms of macro level value. They're both bench players, but who play high minutes, twenty eight to thirty minutes a night. Um, both of them, by the way, are buried behind better starters 
for their current team, but play a position where the other team is currently weak. I think that a deal like that just makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so I think that's something to look at. And then obviously the Jazz could still use some, some help on the front line as well. So I actually love your Joffrey Lozarin idea. Are you are you just trying to trade with the Kings because you think they'll accidentally throw into Marcus Cousins or <laughs> or some other highly you know maybe Willie Cauley Stein gets thrown pick. in no and it's like oh by the way we've got extra first round picks like just take some please. Well, it depends on if Vlade actually answers the phone this time. That's so true. I think that's the big uh, that's the big question. No, I I honestly think I I mean that's the thing right. Nobody knows what Vlade is after. Nobody knows if Vlade is someone you want to deal with yet. Um, he doesn't have a, a resume built up yet and what resume he does have is is you know spotted with a little weirdness if people don't get the jokes that we are just making uh yeah i think his his one deal so far is shows that you want to be in trade negotiations with him (laughs) especially if you're capital yeah (laughs) but but honestly i you know like i look at that objectively and i think that that's probably a deal that would help both teams i mean wouldn't alec burks start on the sacramento kings tomorrow if he i mean not tomorrow because he has a broken ankle but (laughs) well i don't know know. i don't think that i don't think that keeps him from from getting the starting lineup (laughs) for certainly not from starting over ben mclemore and that's kind of the point is you know alec burks would instantly become the best shooting guard on the sacramento kings Darren Collison would instantly become the best shoot, the best point guard on the Utah Jazz. The salaries work. If you wanted to get get even crazier, you could do like um, Collison and Bellinelli for Burke and Burks. That gives the Kings a fifteen minute a night backup behind Rondo, which is really all they need behind Rondo at this point. Rondo's playing like thirty six minutes a game. So I, I guess I'm saying like there are enough workable deals there. The only reason why obviously it's kind of a long shot is because these are two teams that are ostensibly fighting for the same playoff spot. So how much are they going to be inclined to do something that could backfire by helping the other team out? I just think that there are a lot of really interesting combinations there that could work for both teams. Right, and I think with Sacramento, also the Rondo deal being only one year hurts their willingness to trade Darren Collison a little bit, um, unlike with the Hawks and Dennis Schroeder, who right. you know have him kind of locked up long-term. Yeah, that's a totally fair point. Um you know, the indications are that Rondo and Boogie love each other and that everybody's copacetic. And, you know, Rondo's having a year where he looks a little bit closer to old Boston Rondo in terms of the assist totals and just his ability to create. So who knows? I mean, maybe they have a feeling within their organization whether whether they think Rondo is committed past April or not. Um, or, or whether, you know whether it's likely that he stays or not, and maybe that changes the calculation on, on whether or not they do a deal involving Collison. But, uh, you know, I, I, I honestly just think that if you made a phone call and you, and you said Alec Burks, they're going to look at their depth chart and they're going to see Ben McLemore sitting there and they're going to go, you know, we at least have to talk about it. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely maybe. fair. Um, I kind of want to talk about this. We've got Dan Clayton, Salted Hoops writer on. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about this, actually both of you about this idea of, uh, that was reported by Adrian Wojnarowski today, this idea that uh, Golden State is the primary uh, destination for Kevin Durant in this year's free agency class if he does choose to leave the Oklahoma City Thunder. Should we all quit uh, analyzing basketball if they, if they do that because they're just going to win the championship every year no matter what? No, we should just go to a bar somewhere and just like type emoticons into the WordPress editor because that'd be all that would be necessary, right? 
I think no, I mean, I'm kinda, I've said this. Ahead, I, I would have to. I would have to move to Oakland. Like I just. I. I don't know how you pass that up. Uh, I think that you would have to be glued to every, because it would be like watching the Globetrotters in the NBA, like de- decimating top talent every. I mean, they already do that, but now you add Kevin Durant. Now, if you look at the Bobby Marks piece on what it would take to get uh, KD, uh, he wrote that at the vertical as well. Um, just a, a cap-oriented take on on what they would have to do to clear the cap room for for Kevin Durant. You know, it involves things like stretching Kevin Durant and trading Andre Iguodala into space, and those are pretty important players to you know the DNA of the Warriors and what they've been able to do, especially from a defensive standpoint. And Iggy, even though I kind of think that this was a BS vote, Iggy was the uh, the Finals MVP last year. Should have been Curry, probably even could have been LeBron. Point is, like those are two pretty important players, and you'd really be stripping the roster of you know most of its value beyond those big three. So I do think that they would have some questions, but uh, you know, in the long run, if they assemble, if they put those four together, Dre, Clay, Curry, and KD. I don't think that they'd have any hard time finding veterans who wanted to play for the minimum because it would it would basically be you know they'd be title contenders. There'd be some questions for sure, but they'd be title contender. They they'd be heavy title favorites yeah. right out of the bat. I think I also thought Bobby Mark's piece was highly optimistic about giving you know Festus Azili only ten million dollars a year when I think that I think he could get closer to twenty than ten. This offseason, because of all the money available, he's an elite rim protector. He's a good rebounder. His offense really is actually pretty solid. Um, and and if you're trying to get him away from the Warriors, you have to overpay, right? So like, I think the idea of yeah. him getting oh from five million to ten million, I think that's crazy optimistic because I I just think he's going to get really paid. Yeah, unless the Warriors yeah. have the the Spurs voodoo uh, voodoo, just right. being able to sign guys to whatever they want. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and and maybe they do. I mean, obviously those guys all like being a part of, you know, they've created something special, something that is literally historical. So I think that they can make that case. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. And, and honestly, if you start getting up into the, you know, 12, 13, 14, $15 million range for Azili, which is not crazy to talk about in the market that we're about to see in the NBA, then at that point you start saying, well, why are you, why are you stressing Bogut? Like, why are you going to pay Bogut not to play basketball? He's right. still a top three rim protector. He's still really good. And, and even though he didn't play a big role in the last finals, because that's what the, the Warriors had to do to take Timofey Mozgov out of the series and, and shorten Cleveland's bench even more. Like, I don't know. The point is, either way they did it, they'd have to make some big sacrifices talent-wise, and they'd kind of have to redefine who they are as a team. But I think most coaches would love the problem of having to redefine who they are around those four players. So... You know, it's scary for the rest of the league if that happens, uh, but obviously a lot of questions on how realistic it is. Uh, agreed. Uh, I told you, by the way, when I and booked you on the show, that you could talk about whatever you wanted to. So I'm asking, is there anything that you <laughs> want to talk about that we haven't covered yet? Uh, wow, that's a that's a big, broad thing. I know. <laughs> um, so, you know, just... Going back to Neto for a second, okay. MVP Neto. Yes. Um, so, th- so there was an interesting note, and I wouldn't have caught it. Someone else alerted me to it, so I went back and listened to it. But um, on on uh, David Locke's postcast last night, he and Ron Boone were talking about how yesterday in shoot around, and, and you know they're privileged, so they get to see more of shoot around than the average media member. But they were talking about how Quinn had just really. Um, 
gone at Howell Neto in a, in a pretty real way, really challenged him, talked about some of the things that he had been doing before that were helping the team that he'd gotten away from. Um, and, and it worked. And I think that what's cool about that is not the fact that it worked for, you know, a Monday night game at the start of February. I think what's cool about it is it reminds me a little bit of uh, early on when Quinn challenged Rudy, when Rudy was still coming and, you know, some type of player tucks their tail between their legs and puts their head down and says, well, is me about that kind of a, you know, chewing out or, or whatever it was. We don't know what it was because they're pretty vague about it, but uh, you know, good on him that he's, got the kind of motor that he responds to that the right way and, and really comes out and impacts the game in ways that went far beyond 14 points. I mean, he had big steals and deflections late. He played great defense the whole game. Um, I, you know, I think he's starting to look like a guy who could, you know, figure out how to contribute in the NBA. Um, you know, probably still ideally in a bench type role, but, uh, I, you know, in an ideal situation, but I, I just thought that was really cool when I heard that story because, you know, again, not everybody reacts that way to their coach calling them out in a direct way in front of the team. And and this is, you know, a lot cooler thing to say five years ago than it is now, but he outplayed Derrick Rose, um, I thought, pretty pretty emphatically to the point where it looked like he had frustrated Rose to get out of what they wanted to do offensively. Now, they've had a lot of issues with continuity and trying to get into Fred Hoiberg stuff anyway, but it did look at a certain point that Derrick Rose was taking it personally and making it an individual matchup, and that takes away from Jimmy Butler getting shots and getting in a rhythm and finding other shooters on the floor, and, and that you know helps you carve away at a, at a late deficit and gets you into overtime, and then you win the game. Yeah, for sure. And, and by the way, even in overtime, you know, a lot of the Jazz's offense was Howell putting pressure on the Bulls' defense, <clears throat> which that's just not something that we would have fathomed a month ago. That, right that the clutch offense would be, hey, I don't know, dribble into the lane and see what happens and then make a decision. And, um, you know, he was making good reads in that situation. And, um, you know, with XM, I know last year the big focus was on reading what the third defender did because it's pretty easy to figure out what your man does on the pick and roll and what the screener's man does on the pick and roll. But when you see where that third guy comes from, that's where you can really pick apart the the defense. And I think... I think that that part has always come a little naturally to Howell. I think he's just naturally a playmaker. He's got good court vision, a good feel um, for where guys are at, just a a good sense of awareness on the court. Um, It's just been the fact that sometimes he puts pressure on the rim and is aggressive and plays hard defense and gets deflections, and sometimes he looks a little bit more passive and lost puppy-ish and, you know, Last night, the Jazz got the former out of him. And, and quite frankly, you know, he has four years of pro ball and age on Dante Exum, right? You know, so he's he's had much more experience to be able to play the pick and roll um, in those sort of environments, even if they weren't the NBA. So, yeah, for sure. I, did, did I lose you guys there? No, I, I at least oh, okay. uh, when I was talking, you weren't talking. I didn't know if you. <laughs> and, no. We didn't. We didn't have to hear you during that part, but we do have to go now. I'm sorry. Um, we do have to go to a commercial break. But anyway, uh, thank you, Dan, so much for joining us. That's Dan Clayton, Salt City Hoops writer. His best piece every week is the Salt City Salt City Seven every Thursday, posted on SaltCityHoops.com. Again, the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. You can also follow Dan at Dan Clayton. Replace the O in Clayton with a zero, and you'll have his Twitter handle. Again, thank you so much, Dan. Good talking to you guys.
right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we'll do what we do every week around this time. That's around the NBA, all the latest news and notes from the league next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Thanks for playing the ESPN on NBA intro. Like, that was nice. I liked it. Uh, This time every week we go around the NBA talking about all the latest news in the league. Let's do a quick standings update first uh, in this segment. We've got, let's let's start with the Eastern Conference because, well, they have eight teams over 500, unlike the West. That's new. Um, but yeah, that is very different for them. So Cleveland Cavaliers first. Toronto Raptors uh, really impressed this season. Um, and uh, 32 and 16 record, only three and a half games back of the Cavs. Uh, Miami Heat and Atlanta currently tied for third, uh, five games behind the Raptors. Then you've got the Boston Celtics in fifth, Chicago Bulls sixth, Detroit Pistons seventh, and Indiana Pacers eighth. Charlotte, uh, Washington, New York, and Orlando all fighting also as well for that eight, that eighth seed. Your thoughts? Um, Toronto's interesting because they ran off like 11 in a row or something like that. Lowry and DeRozan were co-players of the month in January, which I think is just a normal thing for the East, Eastern Conference in January now. Last January, <laughs> they, we got all five hot starters. Roster. Now we yeah. got two Raptors. Um, I'm, still, I'm still not sold on them just c- because of how much they rely on free throws. Hmm. to to have an efficient offense. And we've seen the last two years when those calls don't come in the playoffs, we don't really know what they do. They freak out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, their their offense falls apart. They right. fall apart, yeah. quite frankly. I, I mean, like I them a lot. I, and I think the makeup of the team is better now, but you still don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I like seeing Boston uh, and still doing as well as they are. I mean, they're also in that Miami Heat, Atlanta Hawk. Um, they're actually tied with Atlanta right now with a 28-22 and 22 record, so... Uh, it's af- after tonight's win against New York, I should mention it's, it's kind of a competitive conference in a way that we haven't seen. I, you know, you don't have the top level talent like the Western conference does with the Spurs and the Warriors, but still, I, think I, I like also, what I've seen. You can also look to the first round of the playoffs and th- and say like, Oh, I don't really want to skip that matchup this, this year. Yeah. Like you, you could get into all of those series. Yeah, I think Indiana Cleveland gives you some fun stuff. You get yeah. Paul George against LeBron. People love that. Uh, Detroit against Toronto would be fun, and just in terms of like philosophy, I think philosophy potential upset. Like you, I mean, any outside of the Cleveland matchup in the first round, I think anything can really happen with those those upsets. Chicago and Miami would play right now. I mean, that'd yeah. be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you get some you get some fun ones. Uh, moving to the Western Conference, Golden State still number one, forty four and four record, still on pace to. Uh, have the most wins of all time, yep. but they do have the harder half of their schedule coming up that in in which they actually play all the good teams. Well, um, I wrote about this uh, a couple days ago. Yeah, the Warriors are on pace to break the NBA three point record by a team by over a hundred. Wow! Which that's not even the most impressive thing to me. They're also currently tied with the greatest three point percentage for a team in NBA history. So not only are they taking a lot, they're they're making an amount of hi- huge percentage. They're historically the most effective three-point shooting team of all time. They're shooting 42.8% as a team from three. They have like eight guys over uh, over the the league average for three-point percentage. The only guy that's under is Sean Livingston, who's one of 12. Hmm. That's yeah. it. They're ridiculous. I mean, I, we already knew they were good, but it's, 
historic like in they're tied right now with the Charlotte Hornets of 96-97 and that's when the NBA experimented by moving the three-point line in. So from the normal three-point line, they're the best shooting team of all time. Nice. I'm still mad at Sean Livingston for hitting that 1-3 against the Utah Jazz. Yeah, that was not, uh, that was not cool, Sean. <laughs> and yet San Antonio has a better point differential than them. Still, Crazy. despite like the losses, the big losses to the Warriors and the Cavs um in in the last month, they're still they're still killing it the Spurs. Yeah. Um, Thunder third, Clippers fourth. Uh, both of those teams have lost. Have sorry, won four in a row. As has Memphis in the fifth slot, won four in a row uh, with a twenty nine and twenty record. Dallas twenty eight and twenty three. Houston twenty six and twenty five. Portland is twenty three and twenty six, uh, tied with the Jazz, who are twenty two and twenty five, uh, going into tomorrow's game against Denver. And I, I guess the Sacramento Kings, uh, I should mention there as well, game and a half back of the Jazz and and the Blazers for the eighth spot. I kind of think the Pelicans are still in it. Yeah, I I just like the way they're playing lately. They're getting healthy. Um, you know, I don't know that they're going to be able to leap four teams, but I think they're. I think they're dangerous down the stretch. Yeah, they're they're seven and three over the, their last ten, and and have started to put it together as you know they got healthy is yeah. really the the big thing for them. Uh, I, I agree that it's it's difficult to see them jumping all of Portland, Utah, Sacramento, and Denver. You know that's just unlikely, but they've finally have started to show kind of the potential people saw in them sure. uh, for the beginning of the season. I'm also is, is no, nice. I'm no longer convinced that Houston definitely makes the playoffs. Yeah, I, I uh, don't tw- think so either. They're going into tonight's game. They're 28th in defense. Wow. 28th in defensive rating, 29th in defensive rebounding rate, which is insane to me on a team that has Dwight Howard. Yeah, I mean, you, no one else on that roster can rebound. Right. And then Dwight's gotten worse at it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting that the Jazz have the fifth highest, and actually the are only the one of only five teams in the Western Conference standings to have a positive point differential at this point. That's weird. That is super weird. It's really weird for the Memphis, West. Memphis, Dallas, Houston, and Portland don't. Which I mean, Memphis got blown out in a lot of games early. Dallas is still, you know, I guess still around 500. 28 and 23 is better, though. And in, yeah. in Houston, Portland, I mean, I see why, but still, it's it's unusual. You know, you look at some of the close games that the Jazz had and say, you know, if they go the other direction, uh, maybe they get a little bit more lucky with a shot here or there. They're right within that 5-8 to eight mix. They really don't get blown out. Like, you know, the Spurs games were bad, but for the most part, even with the injuries, they don't really get blown out. And that, you know, that adds to that. Whereas the East, we have nine teams yeah. with a positive differential. Right. And, and yet uh, the the conference play has still been. I, do you know what the current like win loss status is for the conferences when they play each other? I do not. But I think I think it's very close. OK, I, we'll have to look that up and we'll let you know in the next segment. Anyway, other news and notes. Uh, normally we make fun of the Lakers during this time. Yeah. But I do want to like give them a shout out for doing the right thing. From time to time, sure. <laughs> and in this particular point of view, they uh, point in in time. They they signed a 18 year old uh, cancer patient, brain, battling brain cancer. His name is Yitzi Teichman, uh, and and signed him to a one day contract, and kind of gave him the whole uh, shebang of of being announced for that contract, getting the press conference, and all that stuff. We saw some of that locally with JP Gibson last right. year. Um, and it's cool to see the Lakers kind of do the same thing for for a kid in need. Cool moment too, like the signing with Mitch Kupchak. Mitch is joking around with him. I think at one point 
uh, the kid said, like, I think I could actually help you based on this year's team. Like, there was, like, <laughs> some cool joking around. It was fun. Yeah, and and I'm glad that he is aware, too, of yes. just, like, where he stands when when compared to, like, Anthony Brown and, and right. Nick Young on that He probably roster. looks at Marcelo Hortis and is like, I think I could take that guy. <laughs> he's he's older and wily, but I might be more yeah, athletic. I'm yeah, spry. Uh Speaking of the Lakers, it was announced by or reported by Mike Bresnahan of the Los Angeles Times that Byron Scott is on a rest of the season trial in terms of his job performance, whether or not he gets to keep his job for the 2016-17 season. I think you've already seen enough, quite frankly. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> well, at what, what point. I don't know what he could do at this point to other than convince Kobe to come back for another year. <laughs> I don't really see what he could do to be asked back. He killed D'Angelo Russell for having too much confidence. And then after a bad game recently said, I don't think our young guys have enough confidence. <sighs> like we're in a Goldilocks situation with Byron Scott and it is not good. What is a medium amount of confidence that, that <laughs> D'Angelo know. Russell should have? I'm not sure any NBA player should have a medium amount of confidence. I think everyone <laughs> should have high confidence. That I mean, that's literally when you when you interview NBA players, like 45 percent of the time, they just talk about confidence. Right. Like that's, it's, that it's is really absolutely the major thing that they talk about. I think when you become one of the 450 top or top basketball players in the world, I think confidence is involved. Yeah, and sometimes I'm like, look, maybe you shouldn't have that many confident, that much confidence. Sometimes you're taking shots that you shouldn't be confident sure. you can make, but um, I don't know that that's productive for a terrible losing team with a promising rookie. Right. Ugh. Byron, see, that's the thing is Byron Scott's not only like hurting the Lakers, but he's also just like hurting NBA fans from seeing fun things. At this point, I don't want to use like an overused um, reference, but it really must feel like D'Angelo Russell is escaping Shawshank in the tunnel <laughs> of sewage and, and excrement. And eventually, like when he gets out into the rain, a new coach is going to come along and say, hey, why don't you go run some pick and rolls for us? In fact, run 50 a game and he is just going to explode onto the scene. I, I, I love it. <laughs> I, I think that's absolutely what's going to happen. I, uh, presuming that the Lakers are smart enough to hire a good coach next time, which I don't know. We they don't hired know Byron that. Scott. Right. Uh, TJ Warren for the Suns is out for the season. We mentioned that during our Suns segment, but obviously that doesn't contribute to the ugly picture they've got there. Right. Uh, this is an interesting move. The NBA banned the, the midcourt sideline cameras. You've seen kind of the cameraman sitting down on the sideline filming action back and forth. And finally, a referee actually injured himself yep, uh, on Scott the Wall. camera. Yeah. And uh, so the NBA has banned them moving forward. I think that, honestly, I was shocked that they allowed them there in the first place. There's too um, much clutter. I mean, when, when we're talking about, oh, I wonder if the league should widen the court, I don't think adding someone on the sideline is a smart idea. I get right. the production value of it. Um, if we're going to talk cameras and NBA games real quick, we have got to stop cutting to the baseline camera on fast breaks. Yeah. It ruins the moment. It's never a cool shot. Great for replays. Stop doing it as the actions happen. No. Yeah. Never do it live. Yeah. I never think do it live. That's a fair. We can talk to production people and just insist upon it. that. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm a thousand percent down. Um I think, like, if you removed one of the courtside seats and had them sit next to the scorer's table, then a sideline camera could work. Yeah. Uh, just so, you know, they're not literally sticking out. Right. But if they're where they are now, then, yeah, you someone's going to get hurt and did get hurt. Yeah, and uh, LeBron tripped over one in the conference finals last yeah. year, right? Or maybe the year before, but he tripped over one and rolled his ankle. Yeah. Luckily for him, he's a cyborg and can't feel right. pain, so he just got right back up. <laughs> it was fine. Uh, some all-star stuff. 
the full picture has not yet been released, but we have an idea that the, they're putting big men in the in the skills challenge, which I love. You know, yes. like previously this has been boring because yeah, we all know that the NBA's elite guards are very good at, at dribbling and running right. and passing and stuff. But are the big men? <laughs> I think it's an interesting question. So, so far it's been reported that Draymond Green, uh, Boogie Cousins, DeMarcus Cousins, and Anthony Davis will all, at very least, be involved in this big man skills challenge I, thing, which is going to be pretty must-watch television, I, I feel like. I believe Carly Anthony Towns is also reported really? Really? to be okay, in there. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, we're just one JaVale McGee away from really getting this thing going. Who is your ideal person to have in this that's well, not I, already in it? I think uh, the ideal... Oh, Boban. But yeah. <laughs> Boban Marjanovic or Nikola Pekovic. I got to see yep. one of those guys. Yeah, no, that's. I, I want to see them dribble. Yeah. I want to see. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah. I want to see Rudy Gobert. Sure, I, I Rudy think that'd would be fun. fun. Um, we saw him. We've seen him get loose with a couple of passes and yeah. try to bring the ball up the court in situations. <laughs> yeah. he, he has confidence, as we yeah. said. So <laughs> that's really what it's all about. Uh, and then the three point contest so far, I've seen reported Devin Booker, Steph Curry uh, to, to reclaim his title there and, and Chris Bosch participating and probably three more slots there for the three point contest. Uh, you know, I, I like that Devin Booker's in it. Yeah, I like I like getting a young guy in there to try to. Try to you know mix things up a little bit with the veterans, and of course Steph Curry's fun. Uh, and, and then, as you point out, uh, can anybody beat Zach Levine in the dunk contest? I'm trying to figure out a field that can really give him a run. Like some people were saying, oh, I'd like Victor Oladipo to be back in it. I don't. Like he was fine, but he's not a challenge to Zach Levine, and that's not a knock on him. Zach Levine's crazy athletic, even for an NBA player. Like I think you have to get Aaron Gordon in there. Yeah, uh, Marco Brown from the Nets. Okay, if he's healthy, he's an incredible dunker. Um, I mean, you really have, like, I think they're never going to convince him to do it, especially not in Toronto. But if Andrew Wiggins joined, he'd be like, he's crazy creative with that stuff. You're saying it's less likely because it's in Toronto. I think especially because because he's Hmm. in Toronto. He doesn't seem to like, he actually doesn't seem to like the limelight at all, which is weird. He just wants to go play. It's very Kawhi-like. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I want to see Andrew Wiggins in a dunk contest. Yeah. I, I want to. I obviously Zach Levine was was tremendous last year. Um, yeah, I, I, it's weird. I I agree with you that I think like Zach Levine is a guy that you think of that has just crazy hops and crazy dunking ability yeah. that you you want to see. I I don't know if I go so far as to say no one can challenge him, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. Like, he's definitely the favorite. Yeah, he's definitely the favorite. Like, I think Aaron Gordon could challenge. I think Marco Brown could challenge, okay. but that takes a lot. We'll see. We'll we'll talk about it when the the actual participants are announced, and and we'll we'll break it down because I I really like watching the dunk contest. It's still I, my favorite thing. People have said that the dunk contest is dead. I I fully disagree. I think there's still new and interesting dunks to be had, and has been shown off in the last five years. I know two things that Zach Levine didn't do last year that he may do this year, Ooh. and uh, they will light the they will light the night on fire if they happen. Excellent. Okay, well, you'll have to, I mean, are you willing to give like a sneak peek of that when our official dunk preview comes? I think I could leak, leak that out, yeah. Okay, I yeah, so. I mean, no one, uh, no one actually listens to the show, right. so. Right, and we it's... don't know that he's going to do them or not do right. them, so. Yeah, you're, you're not revealing anything definite here. It's exactly. just uh, rumors. Yeah. All right, we got another, we got to take our last break of the show. Um, on the other side, uh, I have that we're going to be talking about beds, so sure. we could be talking about many different things during this last segment. We do have a bit of audio to play from Derek Favors about that topic next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on 
Talk. One Sports Talk, ESPN 700. Remember when he shaved his head? Yeah, he was bald. Like Jordan Barkley and O'Neal, it's Carl Malona. He helped him win Olympic oh, no. gold. He's not too old. He's still scoring as your double team with Carl Malona. Yeah, it's Carl Malona. <laughs> Who, who writes these songs again? Who's it? Is this Weird Al? No, it's not. It's like this Utah-based guy who made a entire CD of NBA, um, I don't know, parody songs like this. And Carmelona is one. Basketball John is another. That's that's the best one okay. about John Stockton. Um, but I mean, I'm disappointed. The the Jazz Brothers are just so much better, John. They, they they just are. If, if we could have a song about play. Carmelona, or we could have Carmelone literally singing. Yeah, we can't play the Jazz Brothers every week. I don't I know. Guess. Wait, is there like a royalties reason? Then, <laughs> yeah, I agree. We're not paying for that. Do we? Carmelone has enough money. I yeah, think. I think he's I, we doing all right. Don't have to owe him royalties. Yeah. That's how that works. The trucking business is still going. <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of large power forwards for the Utah Jazz, uh, Derek Favors. Uh, made some headlines, I guess, by explaining maybe one cause behind his, his back injury. Let's let's roll the tape. Tape is... is uh-oh, computer glitch. All right. No, we're, we're good. We can talk. So anyway, we were talking about his back injury and how he was able to recover from it, blah, 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 blah. And he said uh, he thought maybe his bed was responsible for some part of this. Now, we've talked to him since then, and... He may or may not have been joking with us. Let's let's be honest. He was probably just playing with a, a gullible media. Sure. But let's hear the quote anyway. It wasn't soft, but it was kind of outdated. I had it for a couple of years, so time to change it. As a stomach sleeper myself, what are you doing to stop it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I try. I try everything, man. Uh, just try to stay on my back. If I feel like I'm turning over, I just wake up and just try to stay on my back. Pillows between your knees. Try that one. Not yet. I'll try. I haven't tried that one yet. <laughs> pillows, too. I feel like the pillows are a problem. I also sleep on my stomach. What, the pillows are soft? Yeah, the pillows are soft. Um, no, I got pretty good farm pillows, so my pillow's not easy. <laughs> Get your agent to call a couple of uh, local uh, mattress companies. Oh. Uh, no, I'm trying to get the, the well, I should call Big Al trying to get his matches that he had. <laughs> <laughs> Big matches he had, but uh, no, I'm trying to look for a new mattress. All right, so I am defending the media here. He seemed pretty serious throughout the whole thing, right? I thought like he was, everyone I was else there. was laughing. I was there. I thought he was serious. But then apparently we talked to him afterwards and he was like, no, I'm playing. Or did PR tell him to say, no, I was playing because that's an embarrassing thing to cause an injury? A, right. a bed problem. Right. Well, we've had that in the past. Like, wasn't Derrick Rose cutting apples in his bed and he, like, stabbed himself or something I didn't, like that? I didn't hear that story, but I like it. I think I think at least 75% of what I just said was true. <laughs> like, I think that was the that was the case. It was almost like an office Michael Scott, you know, Foreman grilled his foot type of thing. Like, I'm not... Cutting you know, apples in my bed. Derrick Rose or Derrick Favors, like, that's not, a, that's not such a bad thing. It's like, oh, I slept wrong and now I'm right. back. Like, that happens. Um, maybe to people not as young as, as Derek Favors, but I do think like I think that's a legitimate reason to like have your back go out of out of yeah. alignment. And and I, I heard people being like, Hey, the Jazz should like tell Derek Favors what kind of bed to sleep on, but that's like a really like big brothery kind of world, right? Yeah, I don't I mean I don't know. We're we're really into like with sports like sleep technology and, and making sure pe- players are sleeping right. Like maybe that is. Maybe you do have to say this is the bed 
you, you, it has to be at this angle. It has to have this firmness. It has to have this pillow and you have to sleep this way. Otherwise like you're cut or something. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we're going to amnesty you or something. Sorry, I don't Derek know. Favors, yeah. but you, you're you, not sleeping you correctly. You haven't been sleeping properly. So you're out. <laughs> we're not even trading you where it's not, it's not really a contract. You're yeah. just cut. You just can't play basketball anymore. Tibor Plice though, that kid can <laughs> sleep. We're sleeping on Tibor. That's, <laughs> Uh, I do like, though, how how much more confident and fun to interview Derek Favors has been this year. You know, I, I and I this is crazy, but I do think part of it is the new teeth he got. Like now he, yeah. he like he loves to smile. He loves to talk. And now he's kind of embraced his role as one of the best players on the team is, is play on the floor has ref- reflected that. And he's he's come out of his shell in a way that I don't think we saw from Derek Favors before this season. He's a fun guy to talk to. Like he gives real answers. He, you know, usually I, except for when well, he makes them up. Right, <laughs> except for when he's a liar. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've enjoyed covering him. I've enjoyed talking to him. Like he he seems like one of the guys to go to in the locker room. Do you think it, we mentioned uh, we? mentioned that with Quinn yesterday and he said he is actually probably the Jazz's best off the court uh, or sorry on the court leader in terms of pointing a defensive sort of communication and that that sort of thing do you think there's a correlation there between on the court uh, defensive talking and, and kind of useful communication not from a basketball point of view and media communication and fun with the fans on on the the other parts of your job I guess yeah I think that all I, I think that all ties together and I think that um, you know, some of the guys who can't shut up in the league are the most fun to talk to and are part of the, the best defenses or, you know, at least components of that system. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, you mentioned Kevin Garnett, for example, right. earlier in the show, and, and I think he's a good example. He of never both. stops talking to himself, let alone <laughs> other people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Garnett is a very strange individual. Very we, odd. We, at some point, some off season show, we'll have to do, uh, just Kevin Garnett stories for like a, a whole segment. They're, Can we they're do really that? like the craziest stories and the the most fun stories. And he gives the best quote. Like we could really just read his quotes, like the quotes he comes up with, the analogies he comes up with for stuff. It's it's kind of top of the top of the line, right? Okay, there. we're 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 gonna put that in the notes. We'll save it for another show when it's not like the trade deadline and there's yeah. plenty of actual basketball to talk about. Speaking of actual basketball, the Jazz have three games for the rest of the week. They play at home against Denver uh, Wednesday versus Milwaukee on Friday and then play a back-to-back against the Suns Saturday. All of those are very, very winnable games. I feel like we've done this before. We yeah, said we a good team would win this, this amount. Uh, they've won three in a row. They've gone two and one on this homestand. Uh, four, They're healthy now. Yeah, at least, five right? and one on this homestand is not... Is not crazy, right? No, the I mean, you would expect them to beat both Denver and, and Milwaukee. And Phoenix is a like we could and be Phoenix looking a at a five in a row. Like that's yeah, that's what a professional basketball team who is good would do. Now, are the Jazz one of those? I think so. <laughs> but what happened last week when we thought the same thing? I guess two weeks ago. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe like when Spencer and I talked You're, about it, it went okay. Okay. So, so maybe it's, it's just a problem. We have me. a chemistry. <laughs> no, I just think it's when oh, you it's and just, I talk okay. to each other. It doesn't go well. That's fair. I mean, maybe the Jazz worry, you know, they don't play to expectations. I, I, you know, they kind of play yeah. to the level of their opponents a little bit. Yeah, and then, and then that, you know, that gets them in, in tight games, and, you know, then yeah. it's a coin flip. 
Yeah, and, well, and it's been less than a coin flip for right. the Jazz so far. You know, they their last clutch win was a month ago before last night. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's something to consider as well. But if they, they should probably win all these games by at least 10. If they sleep properly, yeah, they will. <laughs> that's a big key. All right, everyone out there, sleep well. Get your rest tonight because it will make you a better basketball player tomorrow. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Zach Harper signing out.